Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. My voice is a bit crackly right now. I think the weather's turning colder. And there's something going around this time of year. Hopefully it doesn't come for you. One thing that is certainly coming for you this time of year is the Government of Canada's Fall Economic Statement. And to quote the Honorable Christia Freeland on the first page of the report, Our economic plan is working. Canada is not and has never been broken. Freeland is incredibly optimistic about what the years to come will mean for Canadians. End quote. What a wonderful thing to talk about as Canada slumps into the dark, cold, dismal days of recession. I mean, winter. So, you can rest assured the government is incredibly optimistic about our not-broken country and their economic plan that is, in fact, working. If you want to get in touch, email the show at hello at twostewards.ca. And now, let's try and make sense of what is actually going on here. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. I'm Mark, and I'm here with... Brent. Brent. Just in case you're expecting a surprise guest. Yeah. Nope, it's still Brent. <laughs> same old, same old. <laughs> same uh, same couple of fellas. Um, today, we just want to do a uh, sort of a current events episode. We want to talk about the fall economic update. And um, yeah, how it <laughs> applies to uh, to what we're talking about to real estate. And uh, Brent's laughing already. It's like, do we really want to talk about this? <laughs> I do. Okay. <laughs> I'll let we'll, you talk about it. <laughs> we'll call it the um, the fall economic update and other fairy tales. Okay. That's a great... <laughs> Why do you say that, Mark? <laughs> well, you because... You don't believe uh, it? No. You never believe those fairy tales that you were read as a kid either? Um, <clears throat> no, I believed them. Oh, <laughs> You know, at Hansel, the time, Hansel and Gretel has yeah. more validity than the. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, there's uh, uh, a couple of days ago, the government released their fall economic update, and it's not a budget, um, but it's just uh, sometimes it's a mini budget. They didn't really do any any um, anything, any major spending announcements this year. Although they would have you think they did. Um, but yeah, just a snapshot of where they are, and you know, it's it's a little bit of PR, it's a little bit of a, not so much of an update really. But um, there's there's a few things in there that were interesting. I thought uh, really affected real estate investors, and uh, so we should talk about them. All right, what are they? You excited to talk about them, Brent? <laughs> oh yay! <laughs> okay, so first one uh, we can talk about is the Canadian Mortgage Charter. Ooh. Yeah, sounds pretty impressive, right? Isn't it the new Canadian Mortgage Charter? Uh, well, there wasn't one before, so okay, so it, it is would, new. Then. It would be new, I yeah. guess. So I'll just uh, see if I can pull it up on the screen here. <clears throat> so there's a bunch of things. Uh, six points. So allow temporary extensions of the amortization period for mortgage holders at risk. So basically, you can request your bank to increase your amortization temporarily um so that uh yeah to to drop your payments right so 
if you've paid your mortgage down and you got 20 years left, you can call your bank and say, hey, can we bump this back up If it's up an emergency years? or like if you're... Yeah. yeah. If, well, if, you, if you're experiencing hardship. Right. Who determines that? I don't know. <laughs> so, well, okay. wasn't that a thing before too? You could still do well, that? Like, well, let's go a, through okay. all these. Okay. okay. And then Sorry. we'll see what Sorry. is actually new and what's not. <laughs> so you got that. Waiving fees and costs that would have otherwise been charged for relief measures. So that is actually new. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, not requiring insurance, insured mortgage holders to requalify under the insured minimum qualifying rate when switching lenders at mortgage renewal. So basically, yeah, if you're going to switch that. a lender, um, sometimes you would have to requalify completely. You'd have to go through the whole qualification process. So like you come to the end of your term... Yeah, and you're your, with, let's say, TD, team. and you want to switch to Scotia, you, you could potentially have to requalify, and maybe you wouldn't. So for people who have an existing mortgage and they've had a change in financial circumstances, right? if you just kind of renew your mortgage, your lender will not ask you to requalify. They're just like, uh, you know, yeah. sometimes they may call you and say, hey, everything the same, everything good? Yep, okay. But most of the times they don't. They just offer yeah. you the renewal rate and you... You seem to have been paying your payments well for the last, yeah. uh, let's say, five years. We trust that you're going to, even though you don't have a job now, yeah. continue to pay. But they don't ask, right? They don't, don't ask, ask. Don't no. tell. Um, and so they, that's a big thing, right? Was, if you switch well, to like self-employed or something, and then all of a sudden you don't have yeah. T4 income, the bank's going to go, "Hey, wait a minute." <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four, contacting homeowners four to six months in advance of their mortgage renewal to inform them of their renewal options. Number five, giving homeowners at risk the ability to make lump sum payments to avoid negative amortization or sell their principal residence without any prepayment penalties and not charging interest on interest in the event that mortgage relief measures result in a temporary period of negative amortization. Um, so the interest doesn't compound? <clears throat> yeah, you, you could have, you could just be paying interest. And then they would charge you interest on that as well if you had a, a negative. But they're, but they're going to waive that. So what? Yeah. So, okay. So number one, most of this stuff is not new. So banks right. have been doing. Are you serious? I, I for <laughs> once in my life, I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> right. So allowing temporary extensions of the amortization period, like banks have been doing that since we've had renewals coming up and like since rates have gone up. Yeah. Banks have just been doing that. We've talked about this, right? Amortization periods. Um, making them longer. Ex yeah, making them longer. They're just doing it automatically in some cases. Yeah. We talked about 40 years, right? The new uh, thing from Equitable Bank? Equitable? Equitable is doing yeah. 40 years. But yeah, we've seen people have their amortizations increased, especially on a variable rate mortgage, to yeah. like, you know, 50, 60, 90, 90 years, whatever, right? <laughs> so waiving the fees and costs that may have been charged for that. I mean, that was up to the bank discretion. Um, so, so a lot is of this, this saying that the government's going to force banks to do this? Like, uh, so to me, this is the interesting part. Because, like I said, most of this stuff has not... Uh, I can get rid of that. Most of this stuff has not, is not new. Yeah. Banks are doing almost all of this already. Even the qualifying... Um, like, you, you don't have to requalify when you're switching. If you have a good mortgage broker... You don't have to do that anyways. Um, contacting homeowners four to six months in advance, like most banks do that. Yeah. Like I didn't They're, think that yeah. was not a thing. I know yeah. mine does. 
Yeah, if you want the business, right? If you're yeah. going to come for renewal and the guy's thinking about going somewhere else, it's just good business if you're a bank to call the guy in advance. Yeah. It's just automated, right? Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm sure mine is at least six months in advance. Yeah, yeah. Which when you do like a one-year term, it's like you're talking <laughs> to them all the time. <laughs> um, lump sum payments, like, yeah, banks have done that. They're like, hey, you're... You're going negative in your amortization. Um, we're either going to increase your payments or, or you, you can do can a lump top sum. Up. Yeah. yeah, and people have done that. But I guess they're saying, okay, we're waiving like any uh, fees around doing that. Um, or like no, they've prepayment been doing penalties. that. Yeah, prepayment penalty. Yeah. Well, selling your residence without any prepayment penalties. Uh, so if you sell your home halfway into the mortgage term, but I think a lot of them also didn't do that either. Right. So what is new in this list? What's new is it looks like the government's going to legislate this. Right. So take away. So it's basically the same thing that we've always had or that the the banks have done for the most part. Yep. But now legislating it as a rule. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to me, that's. um, Yeah. So it makes it makes it sound like they're really doing something when banks have already been doing this. But yeah, to me, that's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit scary. Right. Anytime the government legislates. Uh, a lot of this stuff because they're not thinking of like if banks are doing it already good they're going to act in their best interest so if you're like a free market guy like fine whatever um but you i don't know and i I don't know what the second or third order effects of this are yeah but surely there are some and surely the government hasn't thought of this and we don't know what they are yet but yeah yeah, this article from uh cbc says the finance official told cbc news that most of the measures existed already but may have been unclear or difficult for consumers to find. So I guess what they're saying is now they're out in the open and we, we said it to everybody, but they are kind of taking credit for, hey, yeah. we came up with this new mortgage charter. Yeah. It's the exact same thing you're currently doing. <laughs> we just put it on a piece of paper for you. <laughs> yeah, which is what most of this economic update is. Right. It's all stuff that already existed, and uh, they're just trying to like make cool. you... Th- What's, yeah, what else is that, in hey, here? We've done this. <laughs> well, so you have the um, um, oh, and there was a I just closed it, but there was a blurb on the um, first time home buyers update. Which, if you're a first time home buyer, like absolutely use this thing because it's free money, or what it's is free it? money. Well, it's tax free going in and it's tax free coming out. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Right, so you can use it if you put in ten grand. You can drop your income by ten grand that year for tax purposes. Yeah, but then you don't have to make that up when you take it back out. Right. So if you're already saving for a home, like absolutely throw as much as you can into your first time home buyer plan thing. Yeah. Because um, I mean, like presumably, if you took that money out and you did not buy a house, you'd have to pay tax on it. Yeah. But even then, you might still be further. So you ahead. don't have to replenish that account or do anything like that. Because I know what I did it like first time. Take it out of your RSPs, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is different. It's not RSP. Yeah, no, this is the. So this has existed for a little bit, the first time homebuyer plan. But yeah, you and I don't remember the limits now. um, But you know, it's decent limits per year. So if you're a young couple and you are saving up for that home and you know this money is going to go towards a home, I'm not going to use it for anything else, you get to put it in there decrease your income for tax purposes so you get a tax break right up front which means you can maybe put more into that thing if you get a tax refund right yeah and then when you take it out it's not taxable like the whole idea with (laughs) rsps you can do the same thing right put money in 
You decrease your tax on that year. Yeah, so you get a tax break that year, but, but when then eventually when you take it out, you're going to pay tax yeah. on that money. But yeah. like that's cool. It compounds tax free. You get that tax break up front. People have been using this for a long time. Like I don't yeah. particularly like RSPs. Believe in it, but um, <laughs> you know, people have been doing it and for a long time. But uh, but this one, this is like a no brainer because yeah. now you get that money tax. So it compounds tax free. So if you have some really good years of investments, you can uh, like you can do well, and then you don't have to pay any tax on that uh, income. So even if you changed your mind and you didn't really want to buy a home, like go buy a home, yeah, and then sell it, <laughs> right? Or refinance, whatever, yeah, because yeah. now that money is all tax free. Even if you bought the home and sold it. And like, yeah, there's so many different options here, right? Yeah. If, if you, maybe you were going to leave Canada or something, well, at least you go buy that house and then sell it immediately. You get all that money tax free. And, um, because you have to use that to buy a home. Right. But and once you sell the home, like yeah. it's a principal residence, it's your money that's tax free, um, tax free money. If there was a gain. And even if there wasn't a gain, you still get that money out tax-free. So, How to use the system for your advantage on a two-steward <laughs> show. <laughs> hey, that was just right, off that, the cuff. That's the first thing on the list. <laughs> that was one of many. Um, well, I, I find it okay. interesting just going down this article a little bit to talk about the vulnerable borrower just before we get into yeah, other yeah. things on the economic update. So they kind of set this criteria, right? Like these, these are things that were making it better for the vulnerable borrower. And that, that, like the, but the problem is the charter doesn't actually define what that means. You're right. So it's like, well, the guidelines are someone consumer at risk as someone with an, uh, an existing residential mortgage loan on their principal residence who is experiencing severe financial distress as a result of exceptional circumstances and is at risk of mortgage, mortgage default. So like the individual case by case that? base. Yeah. You can, def like, they don't clearly define it. So banks, I guess, could just, it's up to their discretion. Yeah. And uh, that'll be interesting to see, like, who actually ends up qualifying. Like, would some lenders be more lenient and say, hey, well, like, yeah, you seem like you're at risk. We're going to give you all these other kind of perks. Or is it going to be like, you know, you know, yeah, you have to basically be on the brink of default. Well, who who makes that determination, right? Yeah. It sounds like is they the haven't defined the it. Yeah. At this point, it sounds like they haven't defined it, but the yeah. banks will have the leeway to to define it further, I guess. So yeah. Anyways, jump into the next thing. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a, there's a quick one here on short term rentals and this being this my, is your uh, thing, eh? my area. It's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> so they're uh, okay. Let me just read the, uh, read the first line here in Montreal, Toronto and Vancouver alone. There were an estimated 18,900 homes being used as short term rental properties in 2020, a number that has almost surely increased in recent years. So there was a study done by McGill University, and they said there's probably about 30,000 homes. Wait, so what is that? Where is that? That's in It's Vancouver. in the fall economic update. But is that in Vancouver, those 18,000? Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. Montreal. Those are the biggest short-term rental markets in Canada. Okay. And they have something like over 50% of all the short-term rentals in Canada. Right. In those three cities. Um, and yeah, so so they're saying there's about 19,000 people. Uh, Homes being used as short STRs in 2020. That's gone up for sure. Uh, McGill's study said there's about 30,000 um, 
homes that could be used for long-term, like there's more short-term rentals, but not all of them are like either full-time or suitable as a, as a rental, right. but like a full home rental, they est- they came up with a number of about 30,000 across Canada. This is 2021. So the number's probably gone up. But the government is making a big fuss about adding potentially, potentially 30,000 homes to the rental market across Canada, right? Yeah. When we need millions. <laughs> like by, by yeah, 2030, it's poli- it's politically we need, popular. in addition to what we are building now, which is about, what was it, 200,000 a year, 250,000, I think. What would we say? About 3 million a year is kind of the pace that we're on, although that will certainly have slowed right now. Um, in addition to that, the CMHC estimated we need another 3.5 million by 2030. Homes. Homes, right? So 30,000 is a good dent. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. So, I mean, that's always been my argument is that it's such a small number yeah. of homes well, on thinking... the market that just be smart about it. If it's less than 1% of the re- rental stock in Canada, just tax it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking the other day, too, if they do this, um, you talked about, you mentioned second and third order effects. Well, nobody's going to be in those areas as a tourist, or are they all going to go to hotels again? Like, well, how is that going to impact? That's the argument. They, they just go know. to a hotel. Yeah, they don't know how that's going to affect that whole industry. No, they don't, because a lot of people will only, I made this point before, a lot of people stay in short-term rentals or go to a place, and I am one of those people, because there's a short-term rental, I'm not taking my whole family to a hotel. Yeah, what's the fun in that? Yeah, there's (laughs) zero fun, Brent, zero fun if you do a mathematical equation, right? Like, the Cricky family plus hotel equals zero fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but if you're in the government, they just switch things around. And yeah, it's like, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It equals lots of fun. Yeah, hundred percent. Change the numbers. <laughs> um, I mean, they're probably against big families, anyways. I don't know. Yeah. That would be the solution to our immigration <laughs> problem. But um, oh man, get, getting back to circles. this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they're they're making all this effort uh, to. So what are they actually increase, doing to um, the Airbnbs? Like they're just saying yeah. you. It's and, and sorry, my point is like just just tax them. Yeah, they're there. They exist. There's a there's a need for it, and uh, ta- like tax them and use that yeah. money to go towards affordable housing. Because number one, if these go back on the market, they're not affordable housing. These yeah. are nice places. Yeah. For the most part, especially if it's a full home, it's going to be a they nice place. They might make the overall rent mark, like market be a bit saturated for a while. Like it might be a year, a year and a half where, you know, a whole bunch of things flood on the market, rent slow down, which right now they are kind of slowing down. Like it's In the fall, areas, it's the winter. It's, yeah. Right? You talk about Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. So Vancouver, there's been a bunch of short-term rentals because the uh, provincial government has cracked down as well. Like yeah. really restricted. So there's been a bunch come on the market. Um, I don't think it's going to make a dent in the rental market, if you ask me, because of this, just the, it's a small number. They're not all coming on the market at once. Yeah. And we already have, which I think we'll get into later. You got a chart on that. The rental market is just sizzling. Yeah. So it's slowing down a bit. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So it's very high. Yeah. But the rate at which it's growing is slowing down. So it's it's kind of like this inflation conversation we keep having where inflation is 
is high. It's going up, but it's not going up as fast. Yeah. So right? if I'm in the fetal position uh. on the ground and you're kicking me in the kidneys, um, <laughs> like, oh, you're not kicking me as hard. That's yeah, nice. But I'm still kicking That's, you. Thank you, Brent. <laughs> thank you so much for not kicking uh, me as hard. But if you, yeah, here, you just flip it to this chart here. So this is the uh, <laughs> <laughs> rents. So rents have gone up, like just spiked, right? In the last, uh, you know, year. Um, and you, you, ha we have noticed that a lot, like boots on the ground. We're renting units. Boots we're, in my kidneys. Yeah. Boots in the kidneys. We're noticing it. <laughs> <laughs> we're noticing it, that rents have gone up quite significantly, right? Yeah. Like people move out of a unit, right? They've been in here for two, three years and the rent goes up by 600 bucks. Yeah. Right. And that's significant, yeah. especially on like a $2,000, $2,500 unit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is saying too, like it's slowing down, right? Rents in the CPI are surging at the highest rate since the 1970s. The rented accommodations index spiked above 8% in October and is now adding almost 0.6 to inflation. So that is sizzling. So it's going straight up. Yeah. Is what it looks like. But that's slowing down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know much about math, Brent, but. <laughs> uh, where is it here? <clears throat> yeah. So he's talking about, you know, uh, landlords losing leverage as Toronto's rental market slows to a crawl. So. Um, yeah, it, 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 uh, just anecdotally too, like a lot of investors I've been talking to our listings as well. Like they've been, they've been slow in the last little bit. Like yeah. you aren't getting as many applicants or as many showings. Um, but that, that's kind of seasonal too. Like it's typical of the late fall, winter. Um, yeah, nobody wants to move Christmas. in December. Like yeah. nobody wants to move in January 1st. Like it's just, you know, hey, you wake up from your Christmas holidays and then you take all your stuff out of the house and you move to somewhere else. Yeah. Like, nobody chooses to do that, right? So it usually is slower, but yeah. And then with this, um, the rising rents, like people are thinking twice, right? Like, hey, would it make more sense to pay more somewhere else just because I want to move or yeah. have to move? Yeah, so, yeah. do. <clears throat> but I think there's going to be a lot of pent up demand moving forward into future years as well right because people do want to move people do want to get job opportunities elsewhere like it's yeah the same things that happen every year are going to happen this year yeah there's people are deferring so, it it seems like so anyways i forget what we were talking about well we're talking we about short-term rentals yeah. um so basically the upshot is what they're going to do is um uh coordinate with the cra canada revenue agency and make it so that if you're operating law on you, Mark. Yes. Not only are they kicking you in the kidneys. <laughs> no, <you're not. laughs> now they're going to come down with a big hammer. <laughs> um, this is not sounding good. <laughs> yeah, it's So it's really not like, again, it's not, it's almost a nothing burger, right? So uh, the idea is in an area where short-term rentals are restricted, um, you will not be able, if you're an operator, you won't be able to claim your expenses against your income. So you can't claim like, you, you know, your, your mortgage. <laughs> well, so there's a few things here, right? So, I mean, I don't know. To me, if you're operating in an area where it's prohibited or restricted, like you shouldn't be doing that. So yeah, whatever. So if they're going to give more teeth to that legislation, like, okay, great. But that's just, uh, I mean, the, the those governments already technically have the power to shut you down. Yeah. Um, the municipal governments. And like maybe they won't, maybe they don't have the resources. So they also announced fifty million dollars in funding for municipalities to um, to be able to have those resources. But I mean, you spread that out across Canada. That's not 
It's not a ton of money. But it's for, some from money. the municipality's perspective, is it actually advantageous to close down all the Airbnbs? I like, I'm just struggling yeah. with this because is it better to have a long-term resident? Like they're still getting their property tax from that unit, right? Yeah. Because the owner is paying that. Yeah. Um, it's still it's the occupied. housing crisis, right? They yeah. No, but is it like just that something. talk? But that's like, is that a federal thing? It's just that talk, like that talking point. Hey, we need to address the affordable housing crisis or the housing crisis. Well, so the, we think d- it depends what month it is, right? But like the municipality's <laughs> perspective, they're they're saying, well, we're going to close this. Say there's ten thousand or one thousand units in our city. Um, you know, they could be bringing in some economic revenue for tourist destinations around and restaurants and whatever else. Yeah. But we're going to close those in favor of. Like what? What do the municipalities benefit by doing that? They get more housing, more long-term housing. Yeah, but is that that is the, what is so that in do Hamilton, for example? Well, never mind the numbers, Brent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we have a housing crisis, and we need to look like we're doing something. Right. So this has been my argument. You're actually shooting yourself in the foot. You have a an, a wealth driver, an economic driver in your city. And you're stopping that. And you're stopping it. Like, so dumb, right? Just add a (laughs) municipal accommodation tax, which a lot of um, municipalities have. Use that to build Like a 4% tax or something, right? And then use, I know you're just going to spend it on like pretty ribbons and bows or something anyways, but you could say that you're going to put that towards affordable housing, right? Like I drive by this spot on James Street. Again, we're very local here, Hamilton. But this government housing site that's been boarded up for years and years, and there's like a hundred probably units in there. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Fix them up, get them yeah. rented out if the you want to The housing. there already. Yeah. Like, anyways, you're just gonna <laughs> piddle around with like, oh, let's you know, let's penalize <laughs> these terrible short-term rental owners. And like, I get it. There's a housing crisis, yeah. so maybe every unit counts, but. Look a little bit beyond your nose. Yeah. And, and well, then you could start talking about all the you know people in five or ten bedroom houses that are just one person. <laughs> like, well, if you want to talk this... about using the existing housing uh, better, I guess the low hanging fruit is short term rentals because it's an easy one. You just legislate. It so is, you, but well, is the next one long term rentals? Yeah, we're going to legislate that a little bit more. I don't know. So somebody made this point, and yeah, maybe this is tinfoil hat territory, right? <laughs> like, first you're going to let you know. You know, like uh, cut down on the short-term rentals. Well, what's the next thing? The long-term rental market. Because there's, mid-term. guess what? There's still, they don't even know what midterm is. Okay. So, so. Um, but like, guess what? This isn't going to solve the housing crisis. So in a year, what are they going to do? Look at long-term rentals and be like, we really need to do more legislation on a federal level. Like we don't have enough legislation in Ontario of long-term rentals. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Maybe well, there's what would that do? a like, funding uh, a percentage of rent that you can charge and like a formula yeah. based on square footage or bedrooms. Yeah. So I'm going to Florida in a couple of weeks, actually next week. Braggy. Yeah. To go check out rental properties for our investors and stuff. Right. Yeah. So like so many people are doing this, right? They're looking elsewhere going, if I have money yeah. and I want to invest it and I want to build housing units, where's the most favorable jurisdiction to do that? Yeah. And they, they're they eager to do this. They're eager to put their money into housing. They know there's a problem. They want to help, but they don't want to be like victim to all this extra taxation and legislation and risk yeah. and whatever, right? So they're just picking the best spot to do it, and they're exploring their options. So, yeah, yeah that, that, I don't know. that it, It's the same with with our clients, like short-term rental uh, yeah. 
You want to hit the button there? Oh, yeah. Um, short-term rental clients in, um, like, uh, of ours, right? The yeah. same thing. Like, it's just... You're, it's, you're local, but you're also looking abroad? Yeah, we're looking at the States, and a lot of our clients are also like, okay, once you're up and running, like, let's do show this. me the numbers. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure a lot of them would just be like, hey, I'm going to sell a property here and buy down there. Because yeah. whether it's a short-term rental or a long-term rental, I can make more cash flow and have less regulatory headache. Yeah. Um, going, uh, going Well, even like States. rent controls is such a big thing here in Ontario, right? Like, oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know. And it doesn't, and yet we still have a housing crisis and, yeah. and rental prices are like. Anyways, anyways. what's the next thing on your uh, um, <laughs> fall economic Okay, let update. me just quickly update. So the short-term rental thing, if you're operating illegally, more or less, you won't be able to claim your um, expenses. So that's, yeah, kind of hit them in the pocketbook, I guess. Right. Um, to me, if you have a decent short-term rental, yeah, you won't care. You're just going to keep doing it. And it is what you won't claim your expenses. Fine. And then guess what? A lot of people may also not claim their income now. Yeah. If they can find, like if they can rent for cash or off book or whatever, they're going to do that. So um, it's creating another problem where there isn't one. Yeah. So it's just, uh, again, sort of. But when they do claim income, the government gets tax revenue? Well, yeah. Yeah, they would. So. (laughs) So less less tax (laughs) revenue. Um, anyways, ridiculous. Okay. Next. We're not, uh, not going to keep griping about this. We're going to move. No, to we're going to gripe about okay. other things. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here, here's a, here's a fairy tale Ooh, for you. All right. People got to look at this chart. Yeah. So if you're in apologies, if you're listening, you can't see the charts that we're pulling up here. Um, so this is from the fall economic update chart. A one dash four long-term projections of the federal debt. Okay. So this is in the Canadian, uh, fall economic update. Yeah, this is in the children's book called the <laughs> Fall Economic Update 2023. Okay. So they, <laughs> so they. <laughs> That's funny because we just. I just went to the library the other day because my wife ordered a bunch of books for our kids, uh-huh. and like you know, I think that she does it once a month or something because we got like a stack of like it was this tall. Yeah. <laughs> like, lady's like, oh, you know, your kids are gonna have so much fun. It's like, yeah. I'm going to be reading all of these books, <laughs> which is going to be fun. But I mean, like it was just like, you know, a foot and a half yeah. tall. <laughs> the good news is once they learn to read, you don't have to read them yeah, anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> we're getting there. You still got to look at them though. Okay. I think I'm recovered. So long-term projections of the federal debt as a percentage of GDP. So that's important to remember. Yeah. This is not the overall debt levels, but as a percentage of uh, gross to gross domestic products. So the first line here, I think, is where we are now. So we see there was a big spike in 2022, sorry, 2020 to 2021. And then that has started coming down. Okay, so just before debt, you get into this, so just explain yeah. what it means, the the debt to, like, percentage debt to of GDP. GDP. What is that? Like, why yeah. is it important that it's a percentage of GDP? What does that actually mean? I don't even think it is, but okay, um, it's, it's just a way to measure your the sort of the economic health of your country so like because the debt is a number but the debt ain't nothing but a number baby relative to what like (laughs) the gdp right so you're comparing these yeah so if you talk about the all the economic activity in your country which is gdp essentially yeah um so it's a really i think it's a way to rationalize the debt 
to <laughs> rationalize it away. To be like, yeah, we got a lot of debt, but it's look big. at all the activity. Right, it's look big, all... but compared to the economy. Sure, and this is a feature debt. of modern monetary theory, which we have to do an episode on, is that the actual number of your debt doesn't matter. Right. It's the ratio of debt to GDP that really matters. Because right. if you have a lot of debt, but you also have a ton of economic activity, that's fine because you can make the interest payments on that debt no yeah. problem. Yeah, never mind pay the debt off. Yeah. Just, yeah. So if you're... Um, Just make the payments. I don't know. If you're like... Uh, um, if you work at McDonald's and you have... Switch it to you because uh, oh, you're the one talking. I guess. Fine. <laughs> um, if you work at McDonald's and you have $100,000 in debt, yeah, that's a problem. You're never going to pay that, right? And you're going to have problems just making the, the, the minimum payments. If you are, for example, a, a neurosurgeon... And you're making half a million a year and you have $100,000 of debt. Well, that's a different scenario, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the thinking. So to me, it's still like hundred grand of debt. Like you got to do something about that that's eating up a lot of income. Yeah. And guess what? If you lose your, I don't know, if you do something wrong and you lose your uh, brain surgeon life. job tomorrow, yeah. um, you still have that debt and you still got to deal with it. So as yeah. long as the economy's hot, hey, it's fine. Everything's good. When the economy's not, um, it's a problem. And and keep in mind, we're not talking about reducing the debt here at all, ever. That's not that's not yeah. a, a thing in, in MMT, modern monetary theory. It's just keeping up payments on the debt. So in that yeah. case, you wouldn't be talking about that brain surgeon paying off his debt. In fact, the debt would be going up. But as right. long as his earnings are going up every year, that's okay. Because he, can he can service make, the debt. He can he's service the debt. He's never going to default, even though he's never going to pay it off. Yeah. Because our economy but is built okay. on debt, we right. need that debt. We can't ever extinguish it because that would cause other problems. Right. So we let's jump into this chart off. now that uh, we've got that out of the way. Okay. So 2023, if you're not looking at this, we're about 42% or something of... Um, Debt to GDP. Of debt to GDP. And interestingly, right, it, it was at maybe 47% or something at the peak of COVID. It's come down a bunch. Uh, but then interestingly, it comes back up till probably 2024 or so. Yeah. Like, why so is we're it? on this slow upward trajectory. Like, yeah. Debt why is, is it going up? As a percentage. And then they show it going down, 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 right? Down, down to what? 10%? Down to in 2055. Down to like probably 8% or something of GDP, which is like just a ridiculous notion. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It, it, d- and it's this perfect it can evenly happen. down yeah. line. I mean, okay. I mean, that's so it's a projection. So you're not going to put in like yeah, the big ups and downs but for a long-term projection. But And they have like, you know, we, we have uh, if... We have like a good, better, best scenario. Like if GDP is, is 0.25 percentage points lower, then, It'll be a bit, you know, we might yeah. be at like 15%. If GDP is higher, we could be at like 3 or 4% yeah. debt to GDP, which yeah. is just a joke. On our way to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, they're not paying off the debt, right? They're servicing the debt. And guess what? Debt compounds. Yeah. If you're just making your minimum payments, it's still compounding. And you have to rely if, on the GDP growing too, right? And how does GDP grow? If Because <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, it's not really uh, on a massive growth trajectory, especially when you come into a recession or like recessionary pressures. Yeah. <clears throat> and then 
you, as far as I understand, rely on immigration yes. to make this work, right? Well, and this is why I have such a, a problem with using GDP as a measure of anything. Because it's, what is it? It's, it's investment in the country. Um, so it's including government spending. Is that yeah, what? that, that's whatever else it includes. It includes government spending. Yeah. Which is a ridiculous, we talked about this last so time, they, yeah, right? Because they can throttle that up or down. Well, and it's not necessarily efficient. And it's not real. <laughs> well, yeah. The money came from where again? If, yeah, if the government <laughs> builds a bridge and people are employed, like, yeah, that is, um, switch over <laughs> here. Uh, yeah, that's economic activity. Okay, yeah, you, you're right, it is. Oh, I lost my, uh, I lost my next uh, graph here. Um, but the next, uh, the next one I want to share, here it is. Is the um, so this one is government of Canada gross total gross treasury bill and bond issuance by fiscal year. So that's a lot of big words, but mm -hmm. it just means government debt that they're uh, putting out by fiscal year. So we see <coughs> we're sitting around probably 280 billion a year, On is what average. they've been issuing since 2007. Seven was lower, eight went up with the financial <coughs> crisis. It actually um, looks pretty stable for that long, right? Like yeah, that 10, 15 it was, year period? It was stable. It wasn't good, but it was stable at least. And then um, 2020, you see this big spike up to $550 billion, yeah. right? Over half a trillion. So, And that's an increase of like $300 trillion. 2021, yeah. it came down a little bit, $450 billion. 2022, it came down a little bit more to $400 billion. So, okay, we had this, and this is the, the, yeah, the, the narrative, the narrative, thank you, um, that we had to do this because of COVID. And, Which you we kind of did. Well, <laughs> maybe not 600 that's, billion. But. That's another episode. <laughs> um, whether or not it was necessary, they did it fine. <clears throat> and now that's going down. So we don't need it anymore. Great. But then we see a spike. 2023 24 up to almost 500 billion again from 400 and like maybe we're you know yeah a few billion off here but the point is why is this going up and if this is going up why do you think our, our total debt to gdp is going to magically peter away to almost nothing yeah like it's just and it's a, this is a graph in the same report as the other graph yeah <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, there was that little spike or little yeah, but we're upward not, trend. We're not experts, Mark. Yeah, no, we're we're not experts. even qualified. No, I mean, or elected. Certainly, the uh, part-time minister of finance is is uh, like we don't even have a full-time minister of finance. Come on. <laughs> oh, Anyways, yeah, but the budget will balance time. itself. Yeah, exactly. Housing is not a... That's what you said. Like, whose responsibility is housing? Well, it depends on what month, right? Yeah. Housing is not a federal responsibility. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Housing is a federal responsibility. Yeah. When it's politically popular, it is. Yeah. But yeah, okay. So just on that GDP thing where I mentioned uh, Canada needs more immigrants. Well, here, just pull up this. According to you. Well, according to friend. National Post. According to RBC. So there's this report from RBC that says Canada needs a lot more immigrants, almost double the current rate in the long run. So I guess they're they're in this article. They're kind of supportive of the fact that we need to slow down a bit. Like we need to get a grip on what's going on. And it's been a crazy growth in the last little bit. But yeah. in order to sustain our GDP uh, where it needs to be and uh, keep our economy healthy, like we need and to like basically offset the demographic trends, right? Of people getting older, yeah, leaving the, the workforce, boomers. yeah, people leaving the workforce and retiring. 
Uh, we need to replenish that with workers, ideally skilled workers, but we <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> almost double the current rate in the long run. So we think we've had a lot of immigrants in the last little bit. Now we need twice as many. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. The skilled well, worker. So just to read a line from this. So even the current annual in- immigrant intake of 1.3% of the population is not sufficient to stabilize the age structure which would require about 2.1%, it said. So that's the report talking. So 2.1% is what it would require to stabilize like the age demographics and right. all that changing. And what we're at now is 1.3. That's a lot. So, yeah, I don't like who, who makes the calculations, who comes up with the numbers, right? The experts. Because per capita GDP has decreased in the last year. Um, and like that's not a surprise, right? You so again, gross domestic product, it's all the economic activity in the country. So of course, if you bring in a buttload more people, your GDP is going to go up. Yeah, just GDP in nominal goes terms up. Yeah. because there's, there's more, more people, people spending doing more, more money. <laughs> but we have to look at it per capita. Like that's that's not a great yeah. measure, right? Because what, what if you doubled your population? Of course, GDP went up. Yeah, but are you? But that's not a true measure of anything useful yeah. because our, we don't have the infrastructure, so everything that we use is worse. Yeah. The quality of life for Canadians has gotten worse yeah. in the past Ten years, like year, years. couple of years, whatever, right? Just, yeah, yeah any, <laughs> any way you look at it, it's, it's gotten worse. it's not really worse. on a trajectory to get better. No, it's not. And we're talking... Oh, man. So the government, of course, is going to trumpet, like, yeah, look at GDP and look at debt to GDP. Like, hey, everything's great. Because people don't... I don't know. Most people... like, And fair enough. Most <laughs> people don't delve into these things. Like, what do you care, really? Yeah. Right? You just... Yeah. You're paying attention to what's going on around you. But here's, just here's the rub. close those Airbnbs. I don't like them. Well, yeah. Po- just populist stuff like that, right? But people are starting to figure out, and this is reflective in poll numbers, yeah. that like, like, okay, this maybe I don't know same. what GDP is, but something ain't right. Yeah. Like, but I can't... Bananas are five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> the price of bananas is bananas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you could pay in bananas. Um, everybody would grow bananas in the summer mm-hmm. but uh yeah like my grocery bill has doubled in the last couple of years like what gives something's yeah. not right like something's the government right. is You're telling me actually you believe this fall economic update like everything is like really going well and the government is building yeah, all and you these were mentioning houses this too like they pick the window yeah. at which they report things it's like oh nine yeah months. the wage <laughs> Wages have uh, outperformed inflation in the last nine months. Like what? I don't know. What, <laughs> what about who picks eight these? months? <laughs> yeah, what about seven months? You know, are we, you're picking the numbers that are favorable to you. Yeah. And by the way, this is not good for, well, because we've talked about uh, inflation and <clears throat> inflation being sticky. And once you add wage inflation, you get a spiral often. Right. So, yeah, it's like if your wages have gone up, that's good for you. Yeah. But the problem is wage inflation is what a lot of economists, that's a hard word to say, um, are are scared of and are worried about because that's not a good sign. That goes right back into prices increasing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're paying the guy to bring your groceries more money, the cost of your groceries is going to go up because somebody's got to pay for it. Right. And it's just like this unending cycle. Yeah. 
at some point it has to stop and usually it stops when wages um, don't go up and yeah that oh, sucks for everybody but that stop. stops it inflation. Has to stop. It has to go to back down to 2%. That's the target which now they're changing to 3% right? Well you know or whatever the- works. <laughs> they have to adjust to longer higher longer rates or something. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the point is they're using statistics to um, to justify whatever they can and try to paint a rosy picture when everybody knows the picture is not so rosy. Okay? Yeah. So I got another thing from CBC, Canada's debt charges. Man, we love the CBC. Uh, debt char- Canada's debt charges are ballooning as f- he's going to punch me. <laughs> no, I just okay. thought of something else. Okay. There. Canada's debt charges are ballooning as Freeland tables a gloomy full economic statement. So this is a... Uh, gloomy? I thought it was roses. Well, this is CBC Rosie. reporting on it, right? So it might be rosy, but... Uh, so I just scroll down a bit. So now with interest rates at a 20-year high, <laughs> which, yeah, they've just skyrocketed, the cost to borrow all that money has spiked from $20.3 billion in 2020-2021 to $46.5 billion in this fiscal year. So wait, let me see. That's two years. It's doubled. It's doubled. It's more than doubled in two years. So the debt services charges will march even higher in the years ahead. Carrying the debt is expected to cost the federal treasury $60.7 billion in 28-29, according to the economic statement. So this is according to the statement they released. That's a big uh, factor. <laughs> so our- I don't even know where to start. I mean, so the revenue, I'm just looking at 2023 numbers. Well, the next line in this article is, that means debt service charges are now among the most costly line item in the federal budget. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Our total revenue is $456 billion. So $60 billion, you said? $46 billion in this fiscal year and $60 billion by 2028, Yeah, so $46 billion, That's 10% of revenue. 10% of so what we bring in. 10% of our we're revenue. We're just paying on interest charges, and that's yeah. going to go up to 15% probably. Yeah. Right? The deficit, $40 billion. So we're just adding another $40 billion to the debt every, every year. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous numbers going from ten percent of revenue to fifteen percent of revenue. Yeah, like you're telling me this, and you're telling me that our debt to GDP is going to decrease to like ten percent <laughs> in thirty years. Ottawa is going to spend twenty eight point nine billion on the armed forces this fiscal year. That's eighteen billion less than what the government will send in payments to the banks and bondholders carrying Canada's debt. <laughs> <There's-> <laughs> And yeah, everything you look at, right? They have uh, like entitlement spending. So like, um, what do they call it? Elderly person spending or whatever. Like that's going up incredibly over the next few years. Yeah. Uh, like you can pull, there's too much to go through in the economic statement. But like all all their costs <laughs> and, this is and when, payments, yeah. fixed costs are going up, up, yeah. up, up. And when you say like interest rates are going to remain high and like this is this is a big impact to our country, right? That... Well, and that's the thing, right? The debt that we hold, like some of it is longer term. So um, we haven't seen the full increase in debt payments yet. We've just seen with some of the debt rolling over, some of the shorter term debt. And uh, the, 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 the thing that I had pulled, the chart that I had pulled up earlier showed T-bills versus bonds or T-bills and bonds. So, and we often will just talk about bonds here on the podcast. T-bills are just a bond with a duration shorter than one year. 
Right. So up to one year, it's a T bill. Past that, it's um, they'll have some other names for it, but it's it's bonds, right? Bonds are just longer term. But yeah, anything that's been like a year that's rolled over, and we've seen the increased payments. What about the three year, the five year, the ten year? Right? And those are coming in at really low right now, and they're going to be rolled over to. Yeah, and I mean they all have different durations and sell points so you're going to see a mixture of all of those continue to roll over but the point is it's we're not done we're yeah. just getting started yeah <laughs> and uh so those those like how far can those payments go right in the states it's i think a trillion dollars or something is now their um their cost of service the debt a year Ooh. something ridiculous um yeah. And yeah, sorry that you, you mentioned the CBC, and uh, I kind of threw my hands up there. But they they also announced in this uh, one of the things that they actually did do that's new is increase subsidies for um, <laughs> for uh, news media, okay, media companies, right? Subsidies for current current companies that they're subsidizing. Yeah, like well, any media outlet, right? They are eligible to get aid. Or I think deductions. So it went something like from fifty-five thousand per journalist to eighty thousand or something. So they can write that off, right? Right. So you know, you, like, I don't know. In what where world does this, does this make from? sense? Yeah. Well, where where does it come from? It comes out of the air. Um, <laughs> it's like condensation causes snow. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, no, they're, they're increasing subsidies available for mainstream news media, not independent necessarily, yeah. but the ones that they already support. So they can Why is the government paying our, our media? Well, because in they the can, beginning, yeah. But if you think about it, they if they control the money, right, and they can choose to subsidize whoever they want. Would they subsidize somebody who disagrees with them? No, but that's why I was so surprised to see the the CBC. Saying, uh, yeah, write article. this article. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe you just you let them write a little bit of bad stuff once in a while. It's kind of like Pravda in the in the USSR during the you know Cold War. Like, <laughs> wait, we're comparing we're comparing our country. yeah. I am because it was a government run uh, publication. Yeah, right. Media and they like... would sometimes post things that were a little bit critical, just to give the illusion that there was some choice and that there was right. some right, but only so far. Yeah, and like I don't know, how can you not see the same thing happening now? Let's we go don't into have this uh, conversation about CBDCs from uh, was it Nancy Warren? Oh, I don't even know if we should get into that. <laughs> yeah, that's not related to the economic statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, the fall fall economic budget. But I mean that that's I don't know. That's uh, they're exploring CBDCs as well here, right? Yeah, and um, I think some more intently than others, right? Like some are very pro CBDCs, others are. You know, hey, I'll get on the bandwagon, but you have yeah. to think, right? If a CBDC gets in and, and it's a thing, like if your government loses power, the next government comes in, you might be a victim to them controlling your. F- Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it. Yeah, CBDCs are bad news for um, uh, for people. Yeah, good news for human, governments, human bad beings. news for humans. Um, <laughs> Because of the amount of control that the government can have, and that they've telegraphed, that they've said that they they will be able to shape people's spending habits, and maybe we don't like them to spend it on this, so we can give them an, an expiring CBDC. So you give we want credits. them to spend it on the Canadian debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where, yeah. Where does it? Come All right, from? Is there anything else in this uh, economic update to hit on? I don't know. I think that was probably. Uh, 
Probably enough. Um, yeah. I mean, okay, here's one more I can share. Uh, outlook for public debt charges. Um, again, oh, yeah. just part okay. of the fairy tale. Okay. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm losing it here. Um, reflecting higher interest rates, public debt charge estimates have increased over the current year. Forecasts to reach $46.5 billion for 2023-24. Uh, and then they have this chart here, right, where we show uh, public debt as a percentage of GDP, so it was over 6% in 1991, has decreased, and then, um, you know, we're up to... This, so, is, this is debt as a percentage of GDP again. Yes. Uh, public debt charges. 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 So what it costs to service the debt. The payments Not the actual the amount debt, of yeah. debt, just the payments of, of debt as a percentage. So you would expect this graph, like just if you think about it, you'd expect this graph as interest rates come down, you'd expect the payments to come down. Yeah. Right? So as a percentage of GDP, it's probably going to be a down yeah. slope. Right? But then if interest rates go up, you want it, your, it would go up. Yeah, you would think your payments go up. Okay. And as interest rates have gone up and debt is rolling over, you would expect to see that increase. So, yeah. I mean, we saw, yeah. So, like, the low interest rates benefit government. Negative interest rates benefit them a lot as well, right? Yeah. Um, when it comes to borrowing. But then, yeah, when it goes up, um, inflation good, interest rates bad. But they kind of go hand in hand. Anyways, we see that... There's been a market increase since COVID, right? 2021, it was actually the lowest it's ever been as a percentage of GDP, which again is nonsense. But um, they would expect us to believe that it's going to come up to this level, which is, you know, 1.8% maybe or something of GDP and just stay flat over the next, uh, what is this, five years. <laughs> it's just going to be flat. Yeah. We're not going to have any increase in public. How's that for a fairy charges. tale? Yeah. <laughs> Which everything that we just talked about, um, absolute. It's uh, real. Absolute. It's nonsense. real. These projections are real. Yeah, it's all real. So maybe we want to end off on this uh, M two chart because uh, yeah, M2, there we for go. People who don't know. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's important to talk about M two money supply more so than inflation or debt to GDP or any of these other nonsense metrics right even our inflation numbers that were just uh put out there's a lot of doubt again about the how the actual numbers are constructed and whether yeah. or not the government is just changing them to fit their narrative and i think they probably are yeah because they're feeling pain so they're like okay let's show that interest or that inflation well if has it's decreased. calculated off a basket of goods and you can tweak the basket of the goods. basket of goods or some of the metrics around it you can change the end result and in your favor or yeah, whatever. To whatever it is that you want. So, and, and as people know, like, yeah, okay, maybe inflation is under control or it's not actually that it's only whatever been three, four or 5%, right? Like, no, it hasn't. Because again, everybody just needs to look at their grocery bill. their all of their bills, which have all skyrocketed. You can't tell me inflation was at six, seven, eight percent Yeah. Right, so that's not the and and looking at debt to GDP and all this stuff is not the thing that as Canadians, as and as real estate investors that we got to look at to determine how things are. Right, M two I think is the much better yeah. Um, option. Yeah. So this this graph here, if you're not familiar with it, just what's M two, Brent? Just Google Canada money M two. 
This is money supply in Canada. I don't want to get into more detail of what specifically, but basically money in circulation. Um, money broad, that can broad, be used. Broad money supply. Yeah, that can be used. Um, like there's M1, M2, M3, different yep. kind of measures. But M2 is a great way to look at uh, how much money is out there. When you say like you hear, oh, they printed money or there's money created and there's too much money and not enough or relative to goods and services, like we're yeah. just printing like crazy, right? So, but if you look at this, line it's just this hockey stick <laughs> it's a good curve actually um but the problem is that curve is going against you right like if you're a saver if you're uh-huh. relying on your income which i think a lot of people are right they rely on their wages to pay for their expenses and you're saving money this curve just is the rate at which your savings are losing value so in the last uh in the last little bit uh, last two years, we've seen this massive spike, right, during COVID. Yep. And now in the last year, they've actually started to tighten that, and the money supply actually came down. So if we zoom into that, in February to May, June this year, yep, it actually came back down. So they shrunk the amount of money in the system. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what the number is. It's like, <laughs> this is zoomed in. This is zoomed way in, so it's, it, it is coming down. But in the last three months, four months, it's gone back up again, too higher than it was before. Yeah, interesting. So you might think like, okay, things are kind of back on track. They're changing their tune. They're going to shrink the money supply. We might be going back down the other direction. But yeah, no. When when you look at this, uh, the last three months, it's going right back up. So what does that mean? <laughs> to, to me, uh, M2 is much more a much better measure of inflation than anything else, than this basket of goods or whatever. Because this determines... Like you're, I don't know, what it costs you to live and the state of your savings versus... It's basically what your money can buy, right? Yeah. Like what is the power, purchasing power of yeah. your money? Yeah, which is, that's to me, that's like, that's inflation right there. Yeah. And so, so if you see this hockey stick, like that's not good. Yeah. When dollars are plentiful, then everything else... How does this work? When dollars are plentiful, everything else gets more expensive? Yeah. When dollars are scarce, then everything stays kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's a problem. I mean, like, so talking about real estate. Yeah. Right? And That's and, scarce. Yeah, it's or scarce. Or relatively scarce. And, I mean, people are concerned So we got, right what, 1,400 new skilled workers? What oh, did you yeah, say? That was, the, <laughs> that was the, yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to mention from the, uh, <laughs> right? They're placing a focus on bringing in skilled workers, which is like, yes. Woo-hoo. Yes. If you're going to bring in lots of immigrants, make sure they can all build houses. Yeah. Because that's what we need, right? And they're going to need the houses too. So. And Yeah. They also need them. Build your own house once you get here. Um, so this focus has increased uh, Every new the amount of skilled gets a house workers. building kit. And like, I don't know what determines a skilled, uh, you know, construction worker. But since May, 1,400. 1,400. Yes. Hey, great. Like Out I of guess, how many immigrants? Yeah, like what, a million or whatever. Or, well, since May, so half a million. Sorry. Half a million. 1,400 of them are skilled. Uh, like, <laughs> this is the, the best we can do. <laughs> what are the other 490,000? <laughs> And where are these these guys are like on one site in Vaughn somewhere, yeah. you know, like, oh man, it just. Anyways, getting back to real estate, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people are worried because they're yeah. not like they're they're negative cash flow, right? This yeah, is tough. 
yeah. for uh, for investors. And uh, you know, maybe not in the short term world, but certainly in the long term world, if you had um, your payments double, yeah, like that's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like, what do you think, Brent? Is it time to get out of long term rentals? Oh well, not with these trends. And that's where you get back to the M two curve, right? The mm-hmm. money supply. If money supply is at, growing at an ever increasing rate, and that's something that you and I as just normal people can't control. I right? wouldn't say that we're normal people, Brent, but <laughs> okay. carry on. As uh, not in control of the money supply people that we are, uh, we can't we can't basically turn the faucet off and say, okay, no more dollars, guys. We're just going to use what we got. Sorry, that was another... Uh, <laughs> oh, you, you keep talking. I'm going to look for this. <laughs> well, we so we if we can't control the money supply, then we need to look for things that are scarce ultimately right like we need to we need to take the dollars that they're uh slowly printing or quickly printing more and more quickly printing and buy assets that are scarce and what what assets can you buy um you know that are a sizable amount of money that uh will reasonably hold their value and um i guess you could buy anything common sense yeah you could buy anything that's better than uh dollars but a lot, a lot of people gravitate to real estate for all the other advantages that we've been talking about forever. Which is terrible, Brent. Yeah, because it's investors are driving investors. up the house price. Okay, so here's what I was looking for. And I'll let you get back to your uh, <laughs> rant while I break in with one of my own. Uh, homes should be for Canadians to live in, not a speculative financial asset class for investors. So this is right from the... Uh, the economic update. The federal government is taking action action to curb investor activity that drives up the cost of housing while also helping Canadians buy and stay in their homes. So they're just outright saying that the reason, or at least one of the reasons that housing is going up is because of investors. And this has been a popular trope in the, yeah. or a meme uh, going around for a while that it's all these greedy investors buying homes that's driving up the price. Yeah, it is, isn't it? No, Brent, it's not. <laughs> These greedy investors are doing what they have been doing since the creation of Canada, buying homes and renting them out, because this is the only spot, the, the only creation of rental housing. Yeah. is certainly not from the federal government, certainly not from any other level of government. They don't create housing. They yeah, take they credit for existing. they skilled workers <laughs> <laughs> well, and you look at the, you know, they take credit for like, we're creating all this new housing, right? And you read the fine print, it's like stuff that's already been completed, um, stuff that is shoveling the ground and stuff that will probably happen in the next yeah. five years. And On all the it is... of investors' risk. It's, yeah, it's just, it's investors are doing, the government is not, doesn't have a department of building houses or whatever. Yeah. And they're not putting those 1,400 guys to work, um, <laughs> you know, building houses. Over they're time. just making financing options available and spending money here and there. Or And they include, like, fixing houses as part of this total number of houses that yeah. they're building or whatever. Right? Which is they're fair enough, because if you have a vacant building with 100 and something units in it that you... Have been, like government housing unit that's been sitting vacant. Like, hey, yeah. fix that up. That's new housing supply, I guess, technically. It's been it's, sitting but vacant it's not for 10 new. years. It no. was already there. Yeah. And just not, anyways. Um, point is, they're, they're, they're just. They're making a villain of. They're investors. making villains of investors, and they should not be doing that if they were smart because investors provide housing. Yeah. When you buy one house and you turn it into three, yeah. some people might not like that because it's less quality of life for people. 
Uh, but the government should certainly like that because that is more housing. That's three times more housing. In its densification, in an existing spot. They yeah. didn't have to do anything. Yeah. You they, had to do something. They work. didn't have to build a new school. They didn't have to build a exactly. new fire station. Or maybe they had to increase the size of the water line or something like yeah. that. But I mean... Um, but this this is a like a relatively quick and easy way to increase the yeah. number of houses in Canada. Otherwise, money is going to go to family. other countries, right? Yeah. Or other areas, yeah. other countries. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I've seen short-term yeah. rental investors, even long-term rental, they're like, can we switch to short-term? Can yeah. we switch to mid? Can we do anything other than long-term? Yeah. Or should I just sell it? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes the answer is you should just shell it. Shell it. Yeah. So, sell it. Don't yeah. shell it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, not everybody's a homeowner either too, right? So. No. I'd be even thinking of getting into renting myself. It's so much work being a homeowner. <laughs> we had a, well, we had a leak in our house and the, the, the hose on the laundry machine. Yeah. It was just dripping for like months. So we didn't know this because we're upstairs. We had tenants in the basement. All of a sudden it's like, hey, there's water coming out over here. And like we looked and there's all like, you know, water, drywall damage and like the flooring and. It's like, oh man, but yeah. It turns out it was just a leaky hose, but like that's an issue, and now I got to deal with this and pay for it. And like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather be a tenant and just call the landlord and be like, yeah. hey, buddy, you got a leak. Uh, I'll be at my you know parents' place for a week while you yeah. fix this. <laughs> but it's not easy. I'm just saying, like, you know, you know, if you have a good house and it's in a good state of repair and you maintain it well, but not everybody, you have to maintain yeah, it. not everybody does maintain things and no. whatever, right? You have the knack for that. But anyways, you were talking about, uh, I don't know, you were talking about something, real estate, before I jumped in. No, about I am investing. too. I was is done good, with that. Oh, yeah. Is it a good investment? Still? <sighs> yeah. I, yeah. So this is where, like, we keep talking about zooming out, right? Because if you zoom in right now and you say, I'm going to buy something that's negative cash flow. Yeah. Um, that's will a tough it, sell. Yeah. It's a tough sell. But at the same time, you think in 15 years, you're going to be able to afford that house? Like... Yeah, zoom out on these timelines so, and look at these projections. So what you're saying is like wait until it's cash flow positive or this is the mindset? Yeah, this is the mindset. Like, I think why things are frozen up and people are a little bit scared because it is more risky, right? If you yeah. can't cover your costs in the in the present day, like yeah. if you buy it and your cash flow negative, then yeah, it's going to be tough. Like you have to commit to this investment and have the capital sitting around to do that. But yeah, this is where people who have cash sitting on the sidelines. You can't buy it and just be on the edge of yeah. profitability. And if you don't cash flow one month, <laughs> then you like your whole it. world is ended. Yeah. So don't yeah. be in that situation. But this is where people with cash sitting yeah. around are really taking advantage, right? Because they're coming in and saying, look, these house prices are depressed. I know that in 15 years, this is going to be a completely different story. Because like we said, right, in, in, uh, the immigration numbers need to double according to their estimates, right? <laughs> Just to replace the people. So like we have twice as many, you know, we had a million people last year. Maybe it comes back down to 750, 8,500, whatever. Even if it's 500, we go up to a million or 750 and we go up to 1.5 million, right? Like that is a lot of people. Um, so, and they're all usually, they, right? They come to certain areas for certain reasons, economic reasons, jobs, families, schools, whatever, right? And we already have a housing shortage. Yeah. And we're not getting out of that with the 1,400 workers working overtime, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> Could they come in Saturday maybe? Like, yeah. You know? And like you still, like you said, you want to convert to three units. Like it is easier now for sure than it was five, eight years ago, but it's still a bit of a challenge and it and takes not, a lot of money. Not a lot of people are doing it either. No. Like. You do it all the time. So this is yeah. like, yeah, yeah. But 
Not yeah. a lot of people are doing yeah. this. No. So that's where I think land is still valued, un, like undervalued. Uh, a lot of the land locally that is going to be intensified over the next 15 years, it's undervalued, right? Yeah. Um, so you're buying a single family home lot that's just, you know, priced as a single family home and you're taking it and you're adding, you're increasing its income potential, right? Yeah. Which increases its value. And, you know, you as an investor, um, seeing that opportunity, you're buying something undervalued and you're holding on to it for a while. And yeah, you're going to do really well. So unless the government comes in and taxes you and, you know, does some crazy things. This is investors are evil. We're going to tax them at a hundred percent or 99%. I think that's <laughs> probably the biggest risk for investors yeah. right now. Like for short-term rentals. Absolutely. Um, yeah. government regulation is the biggest risk factor yeah. when you're looking at buying a place. It's not the underlying dynamics of the market, like supply and demand. And the fact no, that, that's important too. Yeah. But the biggest factor is, is regulatory risk. Yeah. And I think that's also probably going to be the case for long-term rentals uh soon yeah but we have seen more favor built like uh stuff towards long-term rentals too right like they're giving more funding for yep. uh, long-term rental projects and um so you see an uptick in construction for that and uh and that that's good i guess but it's just uh yeah like you're funding investors too right <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, like yeah. On one hand, you're saying it's this investor activity that's driving up housing prices, but on the other hand, all of the stuff that they're doing to build new houses is, just giving is funding money to investor activity. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys! But, but that money okay. comes from nowhere. That's M two growth, and it, yeah, you're just taking money from everybody uh, without them knowing it, or even right in front of their eyes and giving it them. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways. It is, but okay, but there's a couple important things here for long-term view of, of housing, right? So one is just supply and demand, yeah, which we've talked about, right? Those fundamentals seem With strong. interest rates being high right now, there is less supply, like builders are building less in yeah. general, I think. I think housing starts have, have dropped. Um, so that's the yeah. supply side. A lot of construction is Demand side, down. well, immigration is not, everybody's calling for... Let's re slow down immigration until we figure out what's going on. They're not doing that. And then you've got, so this thing from RBC, like that is just, that's a government plant, 100%. That is the government signaling intentions. This is usually how they do it, right? You'll find a friendly source and a friendly media source. So someone to do some research that backs up what you're saying, and then you put it out there. And then that's followed by another study in a couple months, and then a few more. And then eventually it becomes the narrative so now it's it's not even the government's plan or the government doing it. They're like, just we have to do this. Like, look at what all these experts are saying, right? <laughs> so I mean, if if I'm correct, right, that means increased immigration, not yeah. decreased. Yeah, which in is the gonna, long run, right? So it might be yeah. politically not popular right now, which I think it is, right? Like we kind of overblew it when we doubled the amount of immigrants yeah. in a year, but and all the fact that like. A lot of them are students and they can't find a place. And it's just, you know, a lot of these stories come out, right? And then the yeah. politics of the situation is like, you know what? We got to slow this down a little bit. It's like, yeah, we're doing the right thing. We're slowing it down. But the underlying problem is still there. We have to increase it. So we're going to find a way to increase it. Yeah. So there's already a supply problem. There's a demand issue with. So again, like you said, if we do slow down immigration to 750,000 a year, that's still more than we have capacity for yeah, and historically that's way more, more than we have houses yeah yeah so we still have that <laughs> so problem i think Supply all this demand. kind of boils down 
Well, but then... Oh, another thing. Well, no, then let's look at M2. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is the other thing we talk about Houses often. Houses are denominated in dollars. Yes. And we, we talk about this often, right? When, like, you, so you have to out, outpace M2, but when the money supply increases, hard asset prices, maybe not the value, but the prices go up. Yeah. Right? That's where the money sits first. And in Canada, especially, that's real estate. Money flows there first. Um, it's just proven just because you have mortgage so if, originations yeah yeah so if if m2 is going up guess what house prices are going up yeah and uh it may be in canadian pesos but uh like if that's what you're <laughs> investing in that's what you got yeah so everything to me points to house yeah. prices going up so i guess continuing the moral of the story is increase. turn your dollars into something scarce real yeah. estate's a great option dollars are not scarce no there's a lot of good reasons why real estate and then I think for me, like boiling it down to an investment thesis, and this is what, like, I got into this because I believe in it, but not just because I believe, but it's like I actually study some of this stuff and figure out, okay, why do I believe in this? Well, okay, of all these longer term trends, like if I thought it was just going to go away tomorrow, why would I make a business doing this? Right? Like, so no, maybe you're some, just dumb, right? Yeah, maybe I'm just dumb, but maybe we are dumb. Maybe I'm dumb. It's but, a possibility. But yeah, it is. It's maybe more than a zero percent chance (laughs) but it comes down to forming this strat or like this investment thesis like why are we doing intensification in this area yeah right and we don't just look at the numbers today we look at the numbers for the last 30 50 years and then we say what are the numbers for the next 20 50 years right i say do we fit in this like long-term trajectory it might come down right we might be in a downturn but Usually, if you look back in history, the downturns are the buying opportunities, right? And it doesn't make sense when a da- like when a uh, market's going down that to make to make a purchase, right? Because like right now, where things are negative cash flow, the interest yeah. costs too high. But if you stick to your investment thesis and your beliefs founded on you know some of this data, you can actually make a confident decision, even though it goes against the grain, yeah. right? It might not seem like the best thing in the moment. And I, I don't know. I don't want to like suggest to anybody, hey, you should just go buy some random thing or whatever. But you need to make a calculated decision, an informed decision. But in the grand scheme of things, over the next 15, 20 years, I think we're in for some really uh, big increases, given the money to like M2 supply to that curve, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And to me, like, I'm about cash flow, right? That's our thing. Um, so if I'm looking at a long-term rental, for example, and you know, when things are good, it's going to cash flow 200 bucks a month and then things aren't good. And maybe it's going to, you're going to be uh, short Negative 200 bucks, bucks a month. month. Yeah. Or whatever. It's like, what is the difference yeah. to me? It's not like you're cash flowing five grand a month and then you're, yeah. you're decre- like, so if it's a, a matter like something like that, like that's just part of the cost of owning this property. Yeah. To me. And you just, you budget for that. Yeah. You know, like, okay, we're going to be negative 500 bucks a month or whatever. If I had an RSP and I was investing in something, I would do a, a, a lump sum and then I would Your be putting away contributions. my monthly contribution is 500 bucks a month. Yeah. So same kind of thing and yeah. you know it's costing the it's same gonna as be your a better RSP, investment but it's a way better investment. yeah so that's <clears throat> how right. i would look let's at leave it. it there let's leave it there oh okay well thanks for putting up with us again folks that went longer than we thought again 
but uh, such such it's is because we uh, keep repeating ourselves. Life. Yeah. But fairy tales are great. So, <laughs> so hopefully you listen to this and it puts you to sleep. And um, yeah, we'll have more fairy tales for you coming up. So until next time, steward your wealth wisely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.